0: So this morning we finish off our series on rethinking freedom. Uh, And I know whenever we kind of finish off a series, sometimes people sort of wonder, well, what's coming? What's up next? Uh, What's gonna be happening? So next Sunday is our ministry fair, uh, and Pastor Jennifer is going to be preaching next Sunday around the body of Christ and how we all have a part to play within the body, of course, because of the ministry fair. Uh, The Sunday thereafter is our Serve Commissioning Sunday. Uh, And for those who don't know, Serve is a joint venture within the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada where basically we take as many of our teenagers as possible and we throw them at a small town somewhere and we tell them, go do good. Uh, And it's awesome. It really is. Uh, And so the kids end up somewhere this year. They're in Nelson, B.C., it is Nelson, eh, Peter? They're going to Nelson. Yes, okay, I got that right. Whew. Uh, so they're off to Nelson, and so next, that Sunday will be the Sunday where we commission them, we send them off, uh, and kind of celebrate and pray for them as they go. And then the Sunday after that, so in three weeks' time, just as we launch into summer, uh, we as a pastoral team have been kind of wrestling with where are we going, what are we doing, what are we looking at, uh, and we really believe it will be important for us during summer Uh, to explore the invitation by God to simply talk with God. Uh, And and yes, we call that prayer, um, but we want to look at, particularly using the example of Jesus, how do we just communicate with our Heavenly Father? how do we how do we speak how do we listen uh, and that's not going to be kind of eight weeks looking at the lord's prayer i know some of you might think that's what's going to happen no 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 uh, jesus did pray a few more prayers than just the lord's prayer within scripture and so we're going to look at a whole bunch of them but as for today as we finish off this topic of freedom how do we think about freedom what is true freedom You know, I I reckon all of us at some level and to some place long for this idea of freedom. We want to be free to do whatever we want. In fact, this past Friday, I kind of found myself in a little bit of time at home with nothing to do, and I don't often get to watch uh, TV or movies or or anything like that, and so I put on what I thought would be a bit of a mindless, entertaining movie, and it was. It was pretty mindless. I won't tell you which one it was, Uh, but there's this kind of scene where the hero interacts with this alien presence that are trying to take over the world, and the hero cries out, we want to be free. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. We want to be free to make our own choices. We want to be free to do whatever, and who cares what happens? Uh, and I would have shown you the clip, but unfortunately there's some language that really shouldn't be from the pulpit. Uh, but it just it summed up for me. Isn't that the cry of the human heart? We want to be free. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. I just want to do whatever I want to do. But is that really freedom? And as we've been journeying through the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, uh, so we've slowly discovered that freedom is not just being able to do whatever you want. We had a look at kind of freedom from license because that's what happens there. We've also reminded that freedom is freedom from the law we don't earn our favor before God. We don't, we don't kind of have this checklist that well, because I've done these things and I've followed this law, now I'm good in my standing with God. Not at all. That's, that's not freedom. In fact, that's still slavery. And so we are free from the law, and, and then we've looked at freedom from accusations, freedom from self-reliance. What does it mean to be free in Christ? And I would go back to the very first sermon in this series when we started in Galatians chapter 5. And in verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's really the point we've been making through each and every sermon of this entire series. True freedom is found in no one else and in nothing else other than Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we finish it off, we're going to discover that true freedom comes through the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And that choice of words is deliberate. True freedom comes from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it seems that these days there is no product on the market for which a cheap imitation does not exist. doesn't matter if you want a a Louis Vuitton handbag, a a Rolex watch, a specific hockey jersey, maybe some shoes or electronics, something name-branded, it doesn't matter. You will find a cheap website where you can buy a cheap knockoff imitation, a replica of the real thing. You know, in my last church, I had a moral dilemma over this exact issue. We had a person in our church who made his money by selling replica rugby jerseys they looked like the real thing but they were fake they were imitations and I, I kind of wrestled with how do I how do I respond you know we're called to be holy we're called to be good citizens but if if this guy doesn't do this well then he doesn't eat I won't tell you the answer but it was interesting we live in a world of counterfeit Counterfeit uh, counterfeit products are so prevalent that many of us are almost skeptical when a friend shows us something that's name-branded. Maybe it's just me and my circle of friends, but many of us just doubt, is that really what that is? But it would seem that not only products are counterfeited, In today's passage of Scripture, as we close off this series of Rethinking Freedom, we're going to discover that there was a counterfeit gospel doing the rounds in the region of Galatia. I heard it said once that God creates, Satan counterfeits. And the whole point of it being that Satan cannot create something from nothing. He cannot create something good and true He can only create a counterfeit copy that looks like the real thing, but that doesn't stand under the weight of proper scrutiny. And so Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia. And really just a a brief recap of the letter. Paul is writing to young Christians, not young in age, young in terms of being Christians. They're baby Christians, if I can put it that way. And he's writing to the whole region of Galatia. That's Perga, Iconium, Derbe, Antioch, Pisidia, and Lystra. And you go, yeah, okay, I know all of those. Uh, no, they don't exist anymore. It's really what we would call modern day southern Turkey. Uh, Paul is writing to the churches in this place. And after he had returned from Antioch in Syria, he receives a message that there's a group of kind of Pharisees that have come into this region uh, and they claim authority. They claim they're sent by James. They question Paul's authority, and they're now trying to throw these young believers into confusion because they start telling them, oh, it's good that you have believe Jesus, but actually you also need to get circumcised, you also need to follow the dietary rules, and you also need to follow the law of Moses. In fact, in in the book of Acts, they demand this in Acts 15, verse 5. They say the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. But as we've seen, especially when we did freedom from the law, Paul emphatically writes about this in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, verse 6, he says, "...for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value." The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so now these new believers are confused. You know, they've had Paul come in with Barnabas, and he's they've preached the gospel and they've accepted this gospel and they thought, okay, we're good, we understand. But now another group comes in, a group claiming some authority, and and they're throwing everyone into confusion. And so Paul realizes he knows the gospel. And he understands that their souls are at stake. And so he has to respond. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I know it will be on the screen behind me, but if you want to follow along, uh, we'll be in Galatians chapter 1, reading from verse 2. The second half of verse 2 says, To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The true gospel really is a rescue mission. It is the story, it's the account of how Jesus Christ willingly dies on the cross in our place. He takes the penalty of our sin, and he opens the way for a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we read in Scripture, this was done according to the will of our God and Father. It's a gift of grace. We did nothing to deserve it, we did nothing to earn it, we do not contribute to our salvation. In like fact, Paul writes about this in Romans, and in Romans 5, verse 8, he says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we brought nothing to it. It's a complete and utter gift of grace. I love reading stories of celebrities who go into like ordinary places. I read a story of Shaquille O'Neal a little while ago. Uh, he went into Walmart, and you know, I realize celebrities are normal people and they go to Walmart. I get that. Uh, But it just seems out of place, you know, and so Shaquille was in Walmart and he decided while he was in Walmart to pay everyone's bill, to pay for everyone that was in the Walmart that day. Did anybody do anything to earn that? No. They just happened to be in Walmart. It was a gift of grace. And this is true of our salvation While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're saved by grace alone. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said, the only thing we bring to our salvation is the sin that nailed Christ to the cross. That is all we bring to salvation. When we try and add anything to the gospel, effectively we destroy the gospel. We end up with something completely different. And there was a Christian book uh, written many, many years ago, and the title was simply, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The point being that we receive life, we receive forgiveness, we receive grace through Jesus Christ alone. And as soon as we try and add something to that, it's no longer the gospel, and we no longer have freedom. So let's go back into Galatians chapter one. You know, when you read most of Paul's letters, after the introduction, he'll tell whoever he's writing to uh, something, uh, something uplifting. You know, he'll say that I thank God for you, I pray for you, uh, I miss you, whatever the case might be, I long to see you. Uh, Paul does these things, but with the believers in Galatia, there's no such nicety. In fact, Paul's tone straight away is this sharp, almost angry at times. His words are strong, but his message is crystal clear. Paul says in Galatians 1, verse 6 and 7, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul is astonished. In fact, it's a strong Greek word that's used here. It's one typically used to donate someone's face when they're seeing a miracle. It's that sense of, I can't believe this is happening. This, I have no frame of reference to make sense of this. Imagine being there with the Israelites when the Red Sea was parted and they walked on dry land. You would see some astonished faces of like, what on earth? He's, he's bewildered. He's dumbfounded. He's gobsmacked. I I love that word, by the way. Gobsmacked. It's a British term, and it means to slap your hand over your mouth in amazement. You know that? uh, That's exactly what's going on. Paul is gobsmacked that they would turn from the gospel. Then he uses the word deserting. It's that word of transferring your allegiance It's a little bit like all the flame supporters who a few weeks ago suddenly decided, well, now we're oilers supporters. Only, I don't know what's happening with the oilers, so, you know, sorry for you. A deserter could also mean a traitor. These Galatian Christians are going AWOL. They're turning to a different gospel. But even there, even in Paul's strong language, there's good news. There's hope. Because when Paul says they are deserting, it's a present continuous tense. That means they're in the process of doing it. They're not yet complete. They're not yet outside. They're in that process. And there is time for them to turn back and come back to the gospel. When Paul says that they're turning turning from the gospel, they're not just rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting Christ himself the truth of the gospel. And that's why he clarifies his position, that they're turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel. It is not a gospel at all. Chuck Swindoll writes that this other gospel was different from the true gospel, just like night is different from day, fire is different from water, and like a lie is different from the truth, or like death is different from life. You know, when I read through these verses as Paul speaks about turning from the true gospel and turning to a false gospel, which really is no gospel at all, I'm reminded that some of the biggest threats and dangers to the church of Jesus Christ does not exist or originate from outside the church. They exist and occur within the church. They're started by those who call themselves Christians but don't understand the gospel and who don't yield to the full authority of the word of God. We see this in the formation of both the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormon churches. Both began by false understandings of the gospel through individuals who would not submit to the authority of the word of Scripture And who were allowed, and somehow by Satan, I guess, counterfeited the gospel. And so Paul speaks about these adversaries. And in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 7, as we continue in Galatians 1, Paul says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. We touched on this a couple of weeks ago when we, we spoke about freedom from the law, and it's these Judases who are coming in to the church uh, who've come claiming authority from Jerusalem or claiming authority from James, and they're coming in and they're questioning Paul's authority, and they go, uh, "Who is this Paul guy?" And as they listen, they say, "Yeah, we agree, faith in Christ is good, but there's more to it. You have to add to the faith in Christ." And yes, you have to be circumcised. Yes, you have to follow these dietary laws. Yes, you have to follow uh, the Mosaic law. In fact, you have to become Jewish first. And Paul writes that they're throwing them into confusion, uh, they're shaking their faith. And so the believers in Galatia are in a state of turmoil. You know, the, these Jews that had come to Christ and they had left the law behind. Paul teach, taught them that the law had been fulfilled in Christ and they are now saved by grace. And so they're at a loss and the Gentiles within the community are at a loss because they don't even understand what's going on. They don't understand the Jewish law. And can you imagine this group of Gentiles kind of going, wait, what do you mean we need to be circumcised? What's going on here? And so these Judaizers have come in and they're turning the gospel upside down and inside out. There's this radical change. They've perverted it, is what Paul says. Remember that equation? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you add anything to that free gift of grace, you no longer have the gospel. If you say that you have to be circumcised for God to accept you, you're reversing the gospel. In in that way of thinking, it's like saying, well, I have to obey, and once I obey, then I'm accepted. That's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us we are accepted. And because we're accepted, then we go on to live a life of obedience and live a life of holiness. But our acceptance comes first. It's not the other way around. I think there, there are people who hear the gospel, and they go, it just sounds too easy. It sounds too simple. What do you mean I've, I've just got to believe and just accept? Surely there's something I need to do. And that's why Paul says, not at all. In fact, elsewhere, when Paul charges Timothy, his young protege, he says these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This will be up on the screen as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Paul says the day will come when people will want to listen. Their itching ears will want to hear what they want to hear. A little while ago, I was in Las Vegas. And I don't know if you've been to Las Vegas or not, but my perception of Las Vegas is Las Vegas really is a place that celebrates the fake. Everything in Las Vegas seems to be fake. It's a cheap imitation of somewhere else or something else. And so you can stay in a hotel called New York, New York, and everything looks like New York, but you're not in New York. You're in a desert. You can go to Paris and sit under the Eiffel Tower, but you're not in Paris. And then when you walk through the lobbies, in fact, even in the airport, but you walk through the lobbies in these hotels, and there's not a window anywhere. And it's all this false and fake lighting. And people sit behind these machines hoping to get rich quickly. I want to remind you, the house always wins. And so I'm, I'm kind of walking through Las Vegas and everything just looks fake. There are these fake promises. There's these fake experiences. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff that happens there, sure. But there's this, this sense of, of counterfeit, And so as I'm leaving Las Vegas, I I walk through the airport, through security, and now I'm in the waiting side, waiting for my plane. And as I'm walking through the section, there's this huge TV up on the screen, and Joel Osteen is preaching a sermon. Now, generally, I don't knock other people from the pulpit. I try not to do that. But as I saw this Joel Osteen's sermon being broadcast in the airport in Las Vegas, I thought to myself, this makes perfect sense. We're in a place where fake is celebrated, and so nobody even notices there is a fake gospel being preached here in the airport. This fake gospel that Jesus wants you blessed, that if you accept Jesus you will be rich and healthy and everything will go well for you and you'll be able to live your best life now. That is a fake gospel. And that gospel saves no one. And so Paul says, I'm not going to let these false teachers get even a moment. I'm not going to let them pervert the gospel for you. And it's almost like, you know, you've been reading these first few verses and you can sense Paul's anger. But then as he contemplates these false prophets, his anger goes up a notch. And read what he says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Whoa, Paul. Where's the grace? Where's the love, man? Here you're telling people that they're under a curse and in fact they they must be cursed? Well, of course. Paul understands that the very glory of God is at stake. The very name of Christ is at stake. What Christ has done for us, what Christ has given to us cannot be perverted. It cannot be altered and it cannot be changed. And so Paul, in verse 8, puts this hypothetical situation, and he says, imagine I come back to you, and I preach a different gospel to the one I preached to you at first, then even I need to be cursed. In fact, pauls it's almost like he's saying, even I need to be damned to hell. Ouch. That's the, the Greek word that's used there. It's anathema, and it means something devoted for destruction." The only result for this thing is destruction. And Paul says, if somebody comes along and they're preaching a false gospel to you, they are doomed for destruction. Paul uses this language because he understands not just the gospel is at stake, but the salvation of those in Galatia is at stake. If they start turning from the gospel of Jesus Christ And start following these rules and start following these other things, they will be bound and they will be shackled. They will not find freedom because freedom exists in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul finishes off with two important questions. In verse 10 of Galatians 1, Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? Or of God, or am I trying to please people? If if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Those Judaizers who came in—they're accusing Paul of soft selling the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're accusing Paul of saying to the Galatians, "It's it's too easy." You don't need to be like me. You don't need to follow all these rules. You just need to accept this gift of grace. Paul writes, he says, did you you read what I just said? Uh, People are trying to win friends and, and influence people around them, and those kind of people don't call curses down on people's heads. Paul says, I only care about pleasing God. In fact, if I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I wouldn't be a servant of God. If Paul's goal was the admiration of people, he would have remained a Pharisee. So what do we do with this? What do we do with these kind of angry words of Paul as he he speaks about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I think there are three brief applications before we transition to the communion table. And the first thing we notice and we respond to, as Paul does, we should confront when dealing with someone going astray. Now, I, I would say when I read the rest of Scripture, we should confront in love. Uh, I think Paul, as an apostle, uh, as authorized and established by Christ, Paul's in a slightly different position. And so, Paul, I think, has the right to be as blunt and as rude as he is. But I think we should still learn from Paul, and we should confront gently when dealing with someone going astray from the gospel. We touched on this a few weeks ago. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 6. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted." And that same principle applies when someone is being led astray by a false teaching or a false gospel. We don't have to resort to witch hunts or mob justice or anything like that, but rather we encourage in love. And we say, my brother, my sister, my friend in Christ, return to the gospel of Jesus Christ, this gospel of grace. But not only should we confront gently, secondly, We need to know the Word of God. We need to understand the Word of God in order to be able to understand the gospel. I know I've mentioned this before, but the the image here is those people who work with counterfeit products, they don't spend their time looking at counterfeit products. They spend their time with the real thing. Those who work with counterfeit money spend all day handling real money. So that the moment something false comes in before them, they can see it straight away. I was at a youth uh, camp, youth conference many, many years ago, and there was another young guy there, and he opened up his Bible, and he started reading for us, and he was reading from John chapter 1. uh, And he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And I went, wait a minute, can you read that again? Sure. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. What Bible are you reading? And as he opened up to the front, I discovered it was a Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible. In order to spot what is not the gospel, we need to know the gospel. In order to spot what is not the Word of God, we need to know the Word of God. In fact, I think if someone had simply read Galatians chapter 1 to Charles Taze Russell or Joseph Smith, maybe we wouldn't have millions of people following the teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism today. Now, now, I know some of you are going, Brian, you've never knocked people from the pulpit before. I know that. And my goal is not to knock individuals. I have two good friends who are both Jehovah's Witnesses. I love them dearly. But they know my view of what they believe. And I know what they choose to believe. And I can quite clearly call what they believe not the gospel. Because it is not the word of God. If we want to gently and humbly and lovingly call someone away towards the truth, then secondly, we need to know the truth. And I think the third and closing application that Paul gives from this chapter 1 We need to seek to please God more than people. Paul had no desire to win the accolades of people. Paul didn't care whether he was liked by people or not. The only thing that mattered for Paul was, how do I stand before God? Where am I in relation to my God? He is who I want to please. You and I almost daily will be forced or faced with that choice. Will I please someone or will I please God? I cannot do both. And Paul would say, servants of Christ seek to serve and please their master, Jesus Christ. And that's where we find freedom. It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ and as we serve Jesus Christ. It's this great paradox of Scripture Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The answer, of course, being nothing. There is nothing we can give. And so Paul says, brothers and sisters, you who have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, you who have found freedom in Christ alone, continue in that. And please your heavenly Father, not others around you. Where do we find true freedom? We find true freedom in Christ alone. And we find true freedom in the true gospel of Christ alone. And it might be that you're here with us this morning, perhaps watching online, or maybe even in person. You've been dragged along by a family member, or you woke up this morning and thought, for some strange reason, I need to go to church. I believe it's because Jesus wants to offer you the gift of life through His grace alone, through His work on the cross alone. And my friend, it really is that simple to believe it and accept it. Won't you pray with me as we close? Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news in you. We've sung about it this morning. We're going to remember it around this table. We know that Scripture reminds us the gospel of Jesus Christ is that while we were sinners, while we were alienated from our Heavenly Father, while we were separated, you, Jesus, stepped from eternity into earth. You took on flesh and became human and you walked through life pointing to your heavenly father and then jesus you offered up your life no one took it from you you gave it you gave your life to pay what we could not pay in order that we might receive what we did not deserve And as you paid the price for our sins, taking our guilt and shame upon yourself, you didn't stay in that grave, but you rose back to life, thereby defeating death for eternity and showing us that not only do we find and receive forgiveness, we find and receive eternal life. My Lord, my God, I pray for those here this morning, those watching online, who perhaps have never accepted that gift of grace. It has sounded too easy. Or perhaps they've looked at it and gone, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the the sin in my life. My friends, I would remind you, Jesus took every sin. There are no exclusions and exceptions. Jesus took every sin and paid the price for every sin so that we who believe might find freedom. And I would invite you this morning to within your heart declare Jesus as Lord, to invite him into your life and begin this journey of grace and this journey of freedom in Christ alone. Jesus, we thank you. Amen.